Today I'm continuing a series that I've entitled Lessons from Joseph. And I tell you, I just love this teaching. God has used this teaching to save my bacon. You know, I'm not unusual. I think every person that God gives a vision and puts a desire in your heart, you're going to go through a period of time where it doesn't look like that vision is going to come to pass. And, you know, I don't know how to say this properly. I don't believe that God is the one who causes the hardships in our life. Uh, I believe that we're in a fallen world and God just calls us to swim upstream and we're going to face opposition. If you never bump into the devil, it's because you're both headed in the same direction. I don't think that the opposition, the hardship is God given and yet it will come. It's just a guarantee. You can take the life of Moses. You can take Joseph here, David, and on and on and on. And it's just a pattern that you see. And in my own life, God called me and I went through well over a decade, maybe 15 to 20 years of just struggle before I really began to see what God had put in my heart start to come to pass. And I think that it's that way with everybody. Some people don't like to hear that, but... I believe that God, uh, again, doesn't cause it. It's just, I don't know exactly why it is. It's just that we, there is an opposition. This whole world system is against God. And if you're going to flow with God, you are going to go against the current. You are going to be swimming upstream the whole time. There is going to be opposition. And Joseph experienced this, and yet he prevailed. And it just ministers encouragement to me. During those times when I couldn't see anything, any uh, encouragement in my physical situation, I would go to the Word and I'd look at Joseph and people like Joseph and it would give me encouragement. I would see by faith instead of being seen with my eyes. And it kept me encouraged. It kept me full of hope. I've actually got five teachings in this album and we're now into the fourth teaching entitled Success, The Greatest Temptation of All. And some of you, this is going to shock you some of the things that I say because this is completely opposite the way I would think most people uh, think. And yet this is so evident right here in this story. You know, in Genesis chapter 37 in verse 2, it says that Joseph was 17 years old when God gave him these two dreams about how that his brothers would come and bow down to him. So he was 17 years old when God planted the dreams in his heart. In Genesis chapter 41 and verse 46, it says Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Potiphar and he was made the ruler over the entire land. And then in Genesis chapter 45, and uh, in verse 6, it says, this is Joseph speaking to his brothers after he finally revealed to them who he was. Here's what he said to them. He says, For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and there are yet five years in the which there shall neither be eating nor harvest. So if you add all of this up, what it means is that Joseph was 17 when God gave him the dreams. He was 30 when he finally was promoted as the ruler over Egypt, but then there were seven years of prosperity and then two years of famine, another nine years added to this. So it means that the total time 
when God gave these dreams to Joseph about his brothers bowing down to him, and when it actually happened, was a total of 22 years. 13 years before he became ruler, but even after he became ruler, for nine years, there was no fulfillment of this dream about his brothers coming and bowing down to him. And this is, this speaks volumes to me. I want you to think about this. If you could kind of put yourself into Joseph's position and assume that even if your brothers, if your own siblings sold you into slavery and took you from being a rich kid, the favorite son of your father, and all of these things, the coat of many colors, and if they just stripped you of everything decent, your family, your father, everything, and sold you into slavery, and if you stayed faithful through that, that would be a miracle. But then you continue to serve your new master and you do it with excellence and for all of your integrity and refusing to violate your master's wife as she wanted him to do. How does he get rewarded? He gets lied about, accused of rape, thrown into prison. And so even in prison, here he is, he's still faithful. He's still serving people. He's ministering to these people. He interprets the dream of the butler and the baker, and yet they forget him. And so for 13 years, he languishes. If you could picture yourself staying true through those 13 years, let me ask you, what would have happened once you were promoted to be second in command over the most powerful nation on the face of the earth? You had all of the military. I mean, uh, Pharaoh told Joseph, he says, nobody is going to lift their hand or foot without your permission. You are in total control. He gave Joseph his ring, which basically was his authority and power. He could put out edicts. If, if you had been faithful through 13 years of abuse like that, what would have happened once you had absolute control, absolute authority? What would you have done? Let me just suggest that most people would have taken out vengeance on Potiphar and his wife who lied about him, committed him to prison. There is not a single mention that Joseph did anything like that. And I can guarantee you, if most of us were driven by this dream that someday our brothers would come and bow down to us and that they would serve us, once we had it in our own power, once we had become commander of the mightiest uh, army on the face of the planet at that time, we would have taken that position. We would have taken that army. We would have gone back to our father's house. We would have surrounded them. We would have made them bow the knee and we would have made that vision come to pass. I can guarantee you that's what the vast majority would have done. We might have served God. You know, it's one thing to serve God when really you have no option. I mean, what option did Joseph have? If Joseph got defeated and quit and gave up while he was sold into slavery, well, then he was just destined to be a slave the rest of his life. He had to hold on to God and hold on to those dreams and believe and serve because there was no option other than total failure. And then when he was lied about and put in prison, what option did he have? If he didn't believe God and if he didn't trust these dreams and, you know, stand in faith, well, then he was going to die in prison. 
You could look at it as what options did he have except to keep serving God and serve Him. But when he became ruler over Egypt, he had all kinds of options now. He could have made those dreams come to pass. He could have forced it. And let me just make a statement here that is going to shock some people. But your greatest temptation is not going to be adversity and hardship. It'll be prosperity and success. And this is contrary to what most people think. I've heard these statements all of my life, you know, that when you're in the hardship, when you're in the valley, when you're squeezed, we're going to find what's really in you, what comes out. And you will hear people say things like, it's through hardship that your true character is revealed. I believe it's just the opposite. Even people with a minimum commitment to God, I mean that are just marginal, they will serve God when they're under pressure because there is no other way out. They don't see any way other than, oh God, I've got to have you, I've got to have your help. And I've known people who have served God through hardship and through pressure. But when prosperity and success comes and the pressure is removed, then a lot of people, that's where they lose it. That's where Satan gains access to them. You could contrast Joseph's life here, who went through 13 years of adversity before he saw the first positive thing. You could contrast that with David. David also was anointed by God. Most people believe that he was 17 years old in 1 Samuel chapter 16 when he was anointed by Samuel to be king. And he was 30 years old when he actually became king. He first of all ruled over the two southern tribes and it was another seven years or a total of 20 years before he actually ruled over the entire nation of Israel. So it was 13 years before the first positive thing happened, another seven years before he had total control and stuff, very similar to Joseph. And yet Joseph, during these years of prosperity, when he could have taken the power and the authority that was given to him and he could have made things happen in the flesh and he could have forced it and he could have done it himself instead of waiting on God to bring it to pass, Joseph remained faithful David didn't. David, when he got into prosperity over in 2 Samuel chapter 11, it talks about at the time when kings go forth to battle, David was rising up off of his bed at sundown and walking. If you're just getting up at sundown, that means you spent all of the daylight hours just asleep. That means you're awake at night, you're carousing around. This isn't like what a king is meant to do. It was time for kings to go forth to battle, and yet David had become so prosperous and so successful, he didn't have to go out and fight battles anymore. He had his general, Joab, who went out and fought for him, and he was bored, and he was sleeping during the day and getting up at night. And you know what? He had gotten away from his dependency upon God, from that singleness of heart. He saw Bathsheba, and he wound up committing adultery with her and then killed her husband trying to hide his own sin. And when the Lord finally reproved him in 2 Samuel chapter 12, the Lord spoke to him. And of course, committing adultery with Bathsheba was wrong. Murdering her husband was wrong. I'm not trying to whitewash that and make it uh, you know, less than what it was. It was all sin. It was all wrong. But when God reproved Dan, uh, David for what he had done, 
Here's what he said to him in 2 Samuel chapter 12. He says, how could you have done this and have despised me? And he told him, he says, I gave you your master's house, your master's wives. I gave you all of this stuff. And if that had been too little, I would have given you more. Even though it was sin to commit adultery, even though it was sin to commit murder, the thing that really hurt the Lord as expressed there in 2 Samuel chapter 12 was the fact that David had quit depending upon God and because now he was king, he was absolute dictator, he could do whatever he wanted to, and instead of crying out to God and asking for something, he just took it because he now could do it on his own. That's significant what I just said. Many people don't see this. You know, sometimes with our children, I, I remember when my kids, you know, we had a curfew of 11 o'clock is when they had to be home. And if I told them 11 o'clock, they'd push it to 11.05, to 11.10. It was like if I'd have made it 11.15, they would have pushed it to 11.20. It's like they were just going to take advantage. They were going to go as long as they possibly could. And I remember talking to them and telling them that, look, you need to come home. And they'd say, well, what's wrong? I was only five minutes late. It's not like I'm going to turn back into a pumpkin, you know, or something at this certain hour. And, and, and they were missing the point. I would sit there and tell them things like, you know what? You're out late at night. We live way out in the country. I said, you could have had a flat tire. You could have had a wreck. You could have slid off the road. You could have been in trouble. Uh, there wouldn't be people coming by. Uh, all kinds of bad things could happen. And all of that's true. All of it's true. But did you know what the real thing that grieved me was? It's just the fact that to get the family car and to go out with your friends or go out on a date or whatever, it's not a constitutional right. It's not something that you have to give your children. I extended mercy. I trusted them. I honored them. I gave something to them that I didn't have to. And yet they took advantage of it. They didn't honor me. They didn't trust me. And it was this broken trust that was the real problem. And see, that's, that's what happened with David. Even though he committed adultery and murder, which were both terrible, the Lord said, how could you have done this and sinned against me? How could you have despised me? It wasn't so much the action. It is the fact that, David, at one time you were totally dependent upon me, you were totally responsive to me. And now that you have all this power, you don't need me. You're just going to do, you're going to take anything that you want. And that's what hurt the Lord. In contrast to that, Joseph was just the opposite. He not only served the Lord through the hard times, but when he became ruler of Egypt and for nine years that he could have forced his dreams to come to pass. He could have made his brothers bow down to him. He could have gone and have forced everything to be changed. He didn't do a thing. He didn't take his power and authority and use it in a selfish way, trying to force these things to come to pass. He didn't force Potiphar to bow the knee. He didn't force Potiphar's wife to repent of the evil that she had done. He just faithfully kept serving God and he was still trusting God. To me, that is one of the greatest lessons to learn through Joseph is the fact that he wasn't only faithful through hard times, he was faithful in success. When he had absolute control and authority, he still was dependent upon God. Boy, that has been a huge encouragement to me. 
You know, I've, I've used these things uh, and sa- said this maybe in a different way. But when the Lord first put the dream in my heart to go into the ministry, I knew I was going to minister to people worldwide. And yet, for at least 10 years, maybe 15 to 20 years, I just struggled and had little tiny churches and very little success. And we struggled financially and all of these kind of things. And I had learned how to just keep my eyes on the Lord and keep serving Him through, even though things in my natural realm didn't look like what the vision God had put on the inside of me. But I was aware that the greatest temptation is not hardship, but it's success. And I learned from the life of David that when he got to a place where he could do it on his own, he quit depending upon God. And he actually took a woman away from her husband, committed adultery. And I've, I've seen this not only in David, but just in many things. Plus, in our world today, I've studied the lives of other ministers and stuff, and I've seen people who started out, man, they were seeking God because there was no option. It was either seek God or they were destined to failure. They just couldn't do it on their own. And so God blesses them, and then they begin to have large ministries. Lots of money flow in, and some of those people misuse that money, went to jail. Other people quit depending upon God, got into sexual sin, lost their ministry. I have seen more people destroyed through prosperity and success than I've ever seen destroyed through hardship. And because of that, in my own life, in 2002, January the 31st of 2002, God told me I was thinking too small. I was limiting Him by my small thinking. I needed to take the limits off. And I knew that, and I knew it was a word from God, but I feared doing it for multiple reasons. One of them was because I had seen that if God really did prosper me, and if He expanded my ministry and expanded my influence, I was afraid that the success would corrupt me. I'd seen it corrupt David. I'd seen it corrupt many people in our culture today, and I didn't want that. And you know what? I went back to Joseph, and Joseph is one of these people that he operated in success. He was prosperous. He was the second most powerful man in the world, and yet he remained faithful for nine years. He did not force that vision to come to pass. He didn't take his power and authority and try and make God's vision come to pass. He just kept serving God and being faithful. And Joseph has been a huge inspiration to me. As a matter of fact, as I was praying about this and the Lord told me I needed to take the limits off, I said, but God, I don't want to lose my personal relationship with you. I don't want to get so that I don't need you anymore. I had learned how to serve in hardship. I wasn't sure I could serve Him in prosperity and in uh, success. And the Lord spoke to me through Joseph and said, just as I was faithful and kept Joseph, I'll keep you. He says, I've spent 32 years. When the Lord finally opened our ministry up, it was 32 years after He had put these visions in my heart. And He said, I've been preparing you for this for 32 years. You just need to trust me. And you know what? Here we are. And uh, now I've been in ministry for 47 years. I'm 15 years after this time. And God, I still love God. I still got a great relationship. And I've learned these lessons through Joseph, contrasted with David, with Moses, with some other people, and things in Scripture. And I'm telling you, this is how God has spoken into my life. 
I know that I'm speaking to people today that God has put a vision in your heart, but just as I was sharing as David, as Joseph, as all these people, there is a period of time in between when God gives you the vision and when you see it come to pass. And usually in between those two points is a lot of hardship and a lot of things that looks contrary to what God has spoken to you. And I'm saying that in my life, these things are what's kept me going in the right direction. I believe that these exact same things are for you. God is speaking to you through me, through Joseph. God is telling you things. There are direct applications from this story about Joseph to our life. That's what it says, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 6 and 11. These things happen for our admonition, for our instructions, so that we can learn through them. The Lord is speaking to people today who are just frustrated, ready to quit, ready to give up. Lord, how long do I have to stand? With me, it was 32 years from the time God put it in my heart before I started seeing things come to pass. And I'm still in the process. 47 years later, I'm still depending upon God and waiting for things that God has put in my heart to come to pass. I'm telling you, I've made it. Joseph made it. Other people in Scripture have made it. You can make it. But you are going to have to quit listening to this world. You're going to have to quit just looking with your physical eyes at your situation. And you're going to have to see by faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. You need to go to the Word. You need to go to this story of Joseph and see the way that God worked in his life and say, God, if you did it for Joseph, you're no respecter of persons. You'll do it for me. And you need to take encouragement. I want to encourage you today not to quit. Don't give up. Go back to the Word. Quit looking with just your physical eyes. Look with your spiritual eyes through the Word of God. See God's will coming to pass in your life. I don't care how bad your situation is right now. It's probably not as bad as it was with Joseph. You hadn't been sold into slavery. You hadn't been in prison. I guarantee you it could be worse. And if God worked it in Joseph's life, if God worked it in my life, He can make things work in your life. I really believe that. And I know that there's a lot of people that desire the right things from God. You may even know what God's will for your life is, but as you go towards that, you're going to experience adversity. You're going to experience things that don't look like what God has spoken to you is coming to pass. And most people wash out because they don't stay focused on the Word. They don't take lessons from people like Joseph. They get their circumstances. It's like when Peter was walking on the water. As long as you're looking at Jesus, <clears throat> you can walk on top of the water. But when you take your eyes off of Jesus and look at the wind and the waves, you begin to sink. And most people just sink. Most people wash out because they can't last through that adversity until the time that they begin to start seeing their vision come to pass. I have certainly dealt with a lot of things that look contrary to what God has put in my heart. And I'm telling you, one of the ways that I have dealt with it and that I've been able to keep focused and going towards the direction that God has for my life is because I go to the Word and I look at people like Joseph. There's others, but Joseph has been one of the great examples that God has used in my life to keep me motivated, to keep hope in me when it looked like everything was contrary. And the same thing will work for you. 
Joseph was 17 years old when God first gave him the dreams about what his life was supposed to be like, and he gave him a sense of purpose and destiny. And then he was 30 years old when he actually stood before Pharaoh. So that was 13 years that after God planted this dream in his heart for 13 years, every step he took looked like it was in the wrong direction. He was going down instead of up. Everything in his life went wrong. His brothers sold him into slavery. He went into prison. And regardless of how faithful he was, it just seemed like things were getting worse and worse. But he was able to persevere because he had this vision in his heart. He had a sense of destiny, a purpose. I'm telling you, you can't emphasize too much how important it is for you to know what God's will for your life is and be moving in that direction. If you don't have a destination, if you don't have a point that you're headed towards in sight, well then you know what? You are not going to be able to persevere when things get hard. I'm telling you, I've seen this in so many people. They have a desire to do something, but they don't have... They just aren't motivated. They don't have a sense of destiny. You know, I remember that when President Ronald Reagan was shot by, I believe it was John Hinckley, that uh, I read uh, Reagan's biography after he was out of the presidency. And that was a deal changer for him because he was supposed to have died. According to the doctors, there is no medical reason that he should have lived. It was absolutely miraculous. And when he pulled through that, he, in his own biography, wrote that he, from that time on, lived with a sense of destiny. He knew God had put him in that place for a purpose, and he was no longer afraid of man. He wasn't worried about their acceptance or rejection. He lived with a sense of destiny, a mandate from God that he was there for a purpose, and he lived his life with that purpose. And by his own admission, it just changed everything. You know, my whole life, I remember as a little kid, I mean, when I was five, six years old, I remember laying down in the backyard at our home in Arlington, Texas, and I'd look up at the stars and I'd just wonder about God. You know, I was trying to figure out the enormity of all of this and figure out what my spot was. Where do I fit in? What is your purpose for my life? I remember my parents actually thinking something was wrong with me because I'd just lay out in the backyard for hours and look up at the sky and pray and talk to God. God, what's your purpose for my life? And even though I didn't have any clear direction at that time, I always believed that there was a purpose for my life. I always knew I had a destiny. But then as I got older, I got caught up in school and in friends and, you know, the first uh, 18 years of my life were pretty much planned out, and so I didn't have to give a lot of thought to it. And so I kind of lost some of that, but I always had this awareness that there was a purpose for my life. As I got ready to graduate from high school and had to start making decisions about whether I was going to college and what I was doing, then is when I got serious about saying, God, I don't want to just go to school and do something because everybody else is doing it. What is your will for my life? And you know, I recently taught this on television, if you saw that series on how to find, follow, and fulfill God's will. And when God finally revealed His purpose for my life to me on uh, March the 23rd, 1968, is when my whole life took on purpose. And from that time on, 
I haven't known the detail. It's like seeing something so far off. You can't see the detail, but you've got the destination in sight. And as I get closer and closer, I see more detail. It gets clearer and clearer. But man, since 1968, I have lived my life consumed with the purpose, with the destiny for my life. I can't even relate to people that are just going through life and you're just kind of like a pinball just bouncing around. Gravity's pulling you down and just whatever gets in your way, you bounce off it. And if this doesn't work, well, I'll go over here. If this person and my marriage doesn't work out, <laughs> I'll leave them. I'll go get me another one. And you're just, you aren't, you aren't focused. You don't have a purpose. I'm telling you, that is a recipe for disaster. I can't even relate to people who live that way. You need to find out what God's will is for your life and then you need to get tenacious and you need to pursue it. And there's going to be resistance. And you might find yourself during that period of time where there is resistance. But take a lesson from Joseph that, man, he just kept doing everything with a sense of purpose and destiny. God had given him these dreams and regardless of what happened to him, he kept just believing that someday I'm coming through this. Someday I'm going to succeed. And I believe the greatest indicator of Joseph's character wasn't when he was suffering and going through adversity because even an average Christian will turn to the Lord in crisis. When is it that you pray the most? If you're typical, I can guarantee you the average Christian spends more time praying when they're under the gun, when things are going bad, they need help, and they turn to God. But the average Christian, when things are going well, they don't seek the Lord the same way. They depend upon themselves. They become self-dependent instead of God-dependent. Did you know that this is what's behind so much of the, the um, I don't know, the carnality, the coolness in Christians' lives in America? Because we turn to God and God has blessed this nation and given us prosperity and people succeed and prosper in America. But sad to say, when things are going good, most people don't turn to the Lord. They have to wait until there's a crisis. When 9-11 hit, boy, I mean this entire nation just turned to God and all of a sudden the churches were full for a few months. And then as the pressures ease off, people go back to just depending upon themselves. But every time there's a crisis in World War II, different things, you see the entire nation just turning to God. And it's a shame that you have to have a crisis to do it. But most people will serve God in a crisis situation. I'm saying most people who have any commitment to the Lord at all because they know that, God, you've got to bring me through. I can't do this on my own. But the greatest temptation is when there's success, when there's prosperity. When you no longer are under a crisis situation, how much do you seek God then? Sad to say, most people don't seek God as much, and because of it, their prosperity and success that they long for and pray for so much is actually the undoing of most people. Man, that's a huge statement right there. And you know, because I really believe this, and I've seen this not only in the life of Joseph, David, Moses, different people, but I see it in our world today. Because of it, I'm actually seeking God more in success when things are going good because I realize that that's actually the greatest temptation. When we are in a situation that is beyond our ability, it nearly forces us to depend upon God. 
But when you get into a situation where everything looks like it's good, you can coast. You no longer have to seek God. You don't have to pray. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to do these things. Sadly, most Christians will let off on the gas. They don't pursue God with the same passion when things are good. And because of that, it just guarantees that you will have a crisis later on. I'm telling you, this is something you need to write down. This is just a uh, axiom, a truth, a fact in the Christian life that you need to never forget, that you are your most vulnerable in success and prosperity, not in hardship. And because of that, you need to guard your heart. And when you see the blessing of the Lord come upon you, men, you need to just make yourself even more dependent upon God. See, Joseph, this is exactly what he did. I, 17 years old when God gave him the visions, 30 when he became ruler over Egypt, but it was another nine years. It was a total of 22 years after God put this vision in his heart before Joseph saw his brethren come to him and bow down. And the vision that God had given him, it was 22 years before he saw it come to pass. And during nine of those years, he had enough power and authority that he could have forced his brothers to bow down to him. He could have made his dreams come to pass, but he didn't do it. He stayed dependent upon God. To me, that is the greatest indicator of the true nature and character of Joseph. Joseph was a humble man. Joseph was a man who was God-dependent. He was dependent upon God. He wasn't going to force things to come to pass. You know, I've had to deal with these same things in my own life. Uh, the Lord showed me I was going to reach multitudes of people, and just for years I saw no success. And then eventually I went on radio, and we began to start seeing people respond. And our radio ministry grew. But... It was still, the vision on the inside of me was still much bigger. And I remember one time in the mid-1980s that I had an opportunity. I forgot all of the details right now, but I had an opportunity to just literally go on hundreds of radio stations at one time. And I was going to roll the dice and make the commitment and do it. And it would have taken a miracle from God to pay those bills and stuff but I was just ready to do it because I was frustrated. I wanted to somehow or another make it come to pass. And anyway, as I prayed and sought the Lord, God just showed me that that was the flesh. It wasn't time yet, and I just needed to cool my jets. But I've been tempted with these things. I know that, man, I had a desire. I wanted to see God's vision for my life and ministry come to pass right now. I didn't want to wait. I know that there's some of you right now that you have a vision and you aren't really liking what I'm saying because you are to this place of frustration where I'm tired of waiting. I want something right now. But I'm telling you, there is no way to microwave your ministry. There is no shortcut to what God wants you to do. You just have to keep serving God. And as God opens up a door of opportunity, of course, take it. But I'm saying, don't you kick the door open. Don't you make things happen. And one of the things that I experienced, I had people that, you know, came along after me. I was in the ministry before them. They came along after me. And I mean, boy, they just blew past me like I was going in reverse. And, you know, it says in the scripture that it's unwise to compare yourself among yourself and measure yourself by yourself. But I've, I've been guilty of doing that. I've seen people that started later than me 
and, and succeed and get bigger and pass me up and reach more people and stuff. And it made me want to just try and somehow or another make things happen. I had a group of guys come to me one time. They were from California, Tulsa, Dallas. I'm not sure. It seemed like there was someplace else. But these were big people that had raised over $2 million dollars uh, in one letter, $2 million profit for a television ministry. And I'm not going to mention who it is, but later this person wound up uh, crashing and burning, and today they're just a fraction of what they used to be. Uh, but they use these Madison Avenue techniques. They use these fundraisers, these letter writers to come in, and they had raised this other minister $2 million through one letter. So they, they came to me and they said, we can guarantee, excuse me, it wasn't two million, it was $20 million that they had raised for this other minister. And they came to me and said, my ministry was a lot smaller, but they could guarantee me a million dollars profit if I would let them write a letter and send it out. And at that time, our ministry didn't even have a million dollars in an entire year. We were probably around 80 or $90,000 a year. I don't know, but it was small. And I mean, I, I would have loved to have had a million extra dollars. I could have gone on new radio and television, done things. And so I allowed them to come and talk to me because I was impatient. I wanted to see this vision God had put in my heart come to pass. And as they got to sharing with me, they gave me a sample of what they had done for this other minister. And then they told me what they would do. And you know, they had it down to a science. How many times you underline things, whether you put brackets out in the margin. They had it down to what colors of paper and ink caused people to give. I never thought of those kind of things. And yet they claimed that you could guarantee that people would give if you do this. But the main thing was they had pictures that they were going to put in there of African babies that their belly were swollen from malnutrition and flies crawling on their face and me talking about uh, these orphanages and stuff. And I had to stop him in the middle of this thing. And I said, but I don't have any orphanages. They said, well, this other guy that we raised $20 million for, he didn't have them either, but says people will give and then you can use the money for whatever you want to. And I said, but that's dishonest. And they said, but it works. It doesn't matter how you get the money. It's just a matter of if you get the money and then you can use as much integrity as you want to spend it, but you just need to get this money. And, you know, I remember standing up and those guys and saying, hey, guys, a million dollars isn't enough to pay me to get, get rid of my integrity. I said, I'm not going to do it. This is a lie. And I kicked them all out. And I refused all of these things. But, you know, I've been right there to where you have a desire. And, man, you got this goal and it takes money to get there. And so if I just compromised a little bit, if I just let them, you know, shade the truth a little bit, maybe I could have a shortcut to be able to accomplish my goals. And I'm telling you, compromise is a language of the devil. You just do not do that. Whatever you compromise to get, you're going to lose. Whatever you compromise to keep, you're going to lose. Just compromise is a language of the devil. And I, by the grace of God, I, I was tempted, but I refused it, and I just waited. And you know, right now, our ministry is just in a position where we are blessed, blessed, blessed. I'm not going to take the time uh, to explain all of that to you, but I'm telling you, things that I used to dream about are just coming easily. 
We are seeing people's lives changed. Things are happening that, you know what? I, I was tempted to take shortcuts to try and get there, to bend the truth, to do things, to manipulate, to compromise. And by the grace of God, I chose not to do it. And now we are seeing the fruit of that faithfulness and just standing and doing what God told me to do. I'm seeing the fruit of it on every wave. Every day, we just have the blessing of God come upon us. And I'm telling you, uh, if I would have compromised, I don't think I'd be where I am today. I don't think that I would see the people's lives changed. I believe that it would have short-circuited what God's will for my life was. I believe it would have hindered His will from coming to pass. And I know that I'm speaking to people right now that you are in that situation where you have a vision, a dream, you're frustrated, you're tempted to take another route, you're tempted to compromise and to do all of these things. I'm telling you, don't do it. You stick with God. Go to Joseph and see that Joseph just remained faithful even after he was given enough power and authority that he could have forced things to come to pass on his own. He remained God-dependent. You know, it's my personal opinion that one reason we go through these, this time in between when God plants the vision in us and when we actually start seeing it fulfilled, the reason we go through these hardships, one of the things is to keep us, to teach us to depend upon God, to trust in God. If you watch my recent series that I did on how to find, follow, and fulfill God's will, this is exactly what happened with Moses. Moses was in this position of power. Most people start at nothing and work up to it. Moses started as Pharaoh's son, and he had all of this power and might, and because of it, it gave him a self-confidence, and he was going to try and accomplish God's will through his own strength and power instead of relying upon God. And because of that, he went out and actually killed an Egyptian thinking that his brethren would have understood how that God would use his might and his position to deliver the Israelites, and yet they didn't understand. And because of it, he had to run into the wilderness and spend 40 years in the wilderness learning that, God, I'm sorry that I took a word from you and made a paragraph out of it, that I tried to force your will to come to pass through my own strength and through my own power. It's important for you to realize he wasn't just imposing his self-will. He was trying to make God's will come to pass, but he was going to do it with his plan. He thought he knew more than God, and because of it, it cost the children of Israel 30 years extra bondage, and it cost him 40 years in the wilderness. And you can see this play out through the rest of his life. When he got self-willed and instead of speaking to the rock the way God told him to, he decided he'd strike it twice. That was more dramatic. He was going to do it his way. It cost him going into the promised land. He never did go in and see the fulfillment of everything his life had been about because God saw this self-will, this self-confidence rising up, and God nipped it in the bud or it would have cost the children of Israel another 40 years in the wilderness. I'm telling you, one of the reasons that we go through the hardships, I'm not saying that God causes them, but one of the things that happens during this time when we've got a vision in our heart and yet we can't see it fulfilled, it looks like it may never be fulfilled, it teaches us to just depend upon God. And Joseph learned that lesson so well that after he became the absolute ruler and could have used his power and position 
to make his dreams come to pass, he didn't do a thing. He waited on God. I tell you, that is gold. That is priceless. When you find a person who even, when they can do things in their flesh, they aren't going to do it by their own power and ability. They aren't going to move or do anything until God tells them to act. Man, that's powerful. Those are some of the lessons I learned through Joseph.